Michigan is one of just a few states that outlaws compensated surrogacy contracts, basically paying someone to carry a baby for you. That has made surrogacy a nearly impossible option for many people in the state. Those who have successfully had children by a surrogate are left to wade in a bureaucratic mess of the current system to get parental rights. All of this might be changing. A new bill package aims to legalize surrogacy contracts and create parameters around parentage. Last year, these bills passed in the Michigan House, but are waiting to make it to the Senate. Today, surrogacy in Michigan, where it stands and what the future might hold. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Adam Taylor and his husband, Doug, are parents who have successfully conceived through a surrogate in Michigan. Their son, Jeremy, is now a toddler. He is full of energy. We had a great Christmas. He's three and a half, so he's now getting the magic of Santa. Get his first bike with training wheels and diving sticks for swimming and sports balls and all sorts of fun stuff. Adam and Doug now live in California, but they're helping to mentor other families in Michigan looking at surrogacy as an option. They're also staunch advocates for changes to the current surrogacy laws. Adam, you and Doug knew that you wanted to have kids pretty early on. And I know that at first you tried to adopt here in Michigan. Before we talk about surrogacy law, I wonder, would you mind just sharing a little bit of what that experience was like for you? Yeah, we knew early in when we first met dating-wise, we wanted to have a family. Uh, We wanted to have kids. While we were about a year in the dating, we went and looked at the discussion of adoption to try to gather information. And I mean, so we were putting the toe in the water. And most of Michigan's adoption agencies are run through Catholic Charities, which based on the laws in Michigan passed 2015, a publicly funded institution that manages adoption can deny services based on religious beliefs. And we were directed to try and find another location to go to. So my response to that was to do surrogacy because I just didn't want to deal with the legalities. Having been involved with second parent adoption processes and testifying previously early as 2009 in Lansing, I knew that it was going to be an ongoing battle for parental rights for at least one of us, if not both of us for the entire duration of us having a child if we did succeed. So tell us a little bit about where current laws in Michigan stand for families who are seeking to have children with the help of a surrogate. What what happens if you try to draw up a contract? Well, right now you can't have a contract in Michigan. Um, the 1988 surrogacy law prohibits it. So if you were to, in Michigan, find someone who is willing to go through the screening process to be a surrogate for you and your spouse, if you manage to get the materials, eggs and, and sperm, either from yourself or for a donor, and then you find a surrogate and they go through the process, you then deal with the fact that there is basically no protection. Your child, which is gestating in a surrogate, which may be a family friend, maybe even a family relative, um, is legally the custody of that child up to birth on all decisions, and then at birth could be the one going home with the child. Um, There was a case during COVID in West Michigan where a couple, she was a cancer survivor. So before she went through treatment, she had her eggs frozen. She went through, got through the cancer. Her husband and her wanted to have a child. A family friend volunteered as a a surrogate. The child was born, but the pre-birth certificate order was not issued by the court yet 
to name the parents biologically of the child as the parents. So when the baby was born a month early or a couple of weeks early during COVID and not having that judge's order, the hospital had to issue that custody belonged to the surrogate and the surrogate spouse. So here we are with two parents who everyone agreed on this, but there was no legal standing. Technically had no legal custody of their children at birth. What is your observation of what this has meant for parents, maybe especially parents who are part of the LGBTQ community who, who want to start a family? Well, I can tell you our story. Um, in Michigan, we went to um, RMA in Troy, Reproductive Michigan Medicine, and we did get through the process. Um, it was interesting to go through. Some of them were unique in that we had to be HIV tested because based on law still on the books, because we have sex with a member of the same sex, which I imagine we would do since we're a married couple of two men, we were had to do HIV screening. I had to go through mad cow screening as a military brat, having lived in Europe in the last 20 years, for the issue if our material was implanted with an egg donor. While the egg donor is not involved at the time in which the eggs are implanted, at that point, the eggs have already been separated from the uh, person. We went through psychological screenings. We went through setting up a family trust. These were things that weren't fully required, but highly recommended to try to get a judge's order when it came time. By the time we actually got an egg donor, um, we were in the tens of thousands of dollars and a year and a half into this process. And then we hit the wall of not being able to find a surrogate who could also pass the screening requirements at the clinic. Basically, we were left with Googling and Facebooking, trying to figure out what we're going to do unless we were going to leave the state. And we were debating while building our house in Holly, would we potentially have to leave the state in order to go to a state that we could go to an agency or a clinic, and all of this could be done with professional services rather than us trying to piece this together on our own. Father's Day, I was at work at the Ram truck plant, and everyone was celebrating as there were balloons up. And I got the news back from the clinic because I had been asking. I said, we keep trying to find a surrogate, and we're having no luck. And they said, well, to be completely honest, we've had many same-sex couples get as far as you have, but none of them have gotten past this point. And I kind of broke down crying because I was like, we're two, three years into this process and tens of thousands of dollars in. And I don't think it's going to move forward because unless we leave the state, we, I ended up posting something on Facebook and a close family friend of Doug's that he's been in school with since kindergarten approached us. She said, we're having brunch tomorrow. Why? I'm going to be a surrogate. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk. She goes, <laughs> nope, I've made up my mind. Have you talked to your husband yet? Uh, don't You let me worry about that. <laughs> we went to brunch. And my husband's laughs. He goes, Becky is as strong-headed as you are, honey, if not more stubborn. And I'm usually the stubborn one. And she said, I don't know what this wishy-washy is. I told you, you need an easy-bake oven for your cookies. I'm the easy-bake oven. Let's do this. About a couple months later, um, we got the call. The transfer took, and we were on our way. But then, thank God we did it when we did because, I mean, we ended up right smack in the middle of COVID kicking off when all of this hit the fan. Wow. This is uh, this is a lot. <laughs> um, you know, Adam, you hear a lot about how, you know, 
couples who are trying to get pregnant, often this can be very stressful in a relationship mm-hmm. if they are, say, going through IVF. Would you say that there was there was consequence to, you know, just how how you and Doug were doing in terms of general stress going through this process? I mean, one of the common things I do radio work with WRPI in upstate New York, um, and one of the things they ask me on there all the time is it's that show is um, predominantly LGBTQ for that segment. It's like, how do you guys do this? And it is a matter of resources. I mean, we were working seven days a week, 12-hour shifts commonly for me. I was a robotics engineer. I had changing companies when we were doing this. I was doing field install work, and I was on contract for FANUC. And then I went on board to become maintenance at the uh, Chrysler Ram truck plant. So I stopped traveling. So I, I had a huge pivot in my career. During COVID, when our son was being born, my husband had to stop working because we were mandatory critical workers. So we went through both of us on 12-hour shifts, seven days a week, mandatory production, no days off, no child care because it's COVID, newborn so, I mean, we ended up having a year in to have my husband stop working for two years. He's just now going back to work. So, I mean, having a kid was in itself a huge process, but just getting there. I mean, we went through so many changes. We built a house in Michigan planning for children. And things changed. We went through the IVF process. That was over six figures in some total of everything between attorneys, doctors, insurance, medical bills, stuff not being covered by insurance, legal statuses, the pre-birth certificate order process. Uh, Yeah, it, it left some stress. We need to take a break. When we come back, the bill package that could change Michigan's surrogacy laws. Stay with us. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from the University of Michigan's Go Blue Guarantee, committed to keeping a U of M undergraduate education within reach of all Michigan residents, regardless of socioeconomic status. Programs are available for all three campuses. More at goblueguarantee.umich.edu. So after after Jeremy was born, did you two have to go through additional legal processes to, I mean, you weren't having problems with your surrogate, but did you have to go through mm-hmm. additional uh, administrative process to get parental rights? So we got a PBL, a pre-birth certificate order. We went ahead long before this whole process started. We sat down with Rhett and Law in, in, in Royal Oak, now in Detroit, and we did a family trust. And we updated it at the time of transfer, and we updated it at the point of 20 weeks of age of Jeremy um, gestating. So we had to go through these various processes where we proactively did them. We sat down with Dion Rudy and we had him work with a judge out of Troy from his law firm. So we, I mean, we had multiple law firms, but we ended up going in front of a judge, uh, which we were nervous in Oakland County. We we're like, watch us get the conservative one. Um, we ended up getting a Republican judge. 
And um, it ended up coming out that we seemed to have crossed all our T's, dotted our I's. So we had approved for our both of us to be named on the birth certificate at birth as the parent and parent, which in Michigan, when we got that PBO, we were the first male, male married couple to get that. Typically, most people going through surrogacy will have one person put down, and it's usually in a straight couple, the mother, biologically of the eggs, will end up getting the uh, PBO. And uh, they will end up being on the birth certificate at birth. The spouse of that person will not. They, they will have to go to the second parent adoption process. For us, having that, we we got to avoid the whole second parent adoption process. And both of us were present at the birth. And we signed at birth the documents for the issuing of the birth certificate at U of M Hospital, um, which was huge. So much so, we had, I think, I felt like half the hospital came to see us. <laughs> Because no one had seen this where, you know, two men were in Michigan signing a birth certificate at birth, involved at the birth with a surrogate. And nonetheless, during COVID, which the hospital policies during COVID stated that only one person could go in with the uh, woman giving birth. And here we were with a court order. We had to be present at the birth. and We wanted to be present at the birth. So we were standing there with the surrogate's husband. And us, so she had three men standing next to her, and we're cutting the cord, and her husband's sitting on the side. <laughs> three men and a baby. <laughs> Adam, you helped with the crafting of a series of bills that were sponsored by State Senator Samantha Steckloff. And as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, they did pass at least one House of the legislature before the session was brought to uh, a close at the end of November. And you've been working on these issues through the Michigan Fertility Alliance. Can you talk a little bit about what you think would be first priority provisions to change if if the legislature can be convinced to change the laws around surrogacy? So a big factor we're looking at is parental rights. So you have couples who um, mostly heterosexual couples in Michigan who are going through this process of trying to have a child and you're dealing with parental custody up to the child's birth or even after the child's birth. So people are going through all of this process and then not knowing if they can go home legally as the correct parental guardians of said child after birth. So one of the key issues of this bill is to get so that if you are doing surrogacy, there is a contract. But at the birth, the parental rights are the genetic parents who are going through this process. Without that, children don't follow under health insurance. So billing and processing for the family is now a huge question in the air, um, which hospitals, again, are left with having to follow the rules. And so you have people who are coming out with, in our case, we came out of the hospital with a five-figure birth bill because the insurance didn't cover it because it was outside of our marriage, but it was our son. So... Until our son was legally status and identified, our health insurance couldn't recognize him as a dependent file. We're dealing with basically getting this structure in place where people have a, a process to follow when when it happens and if it's going to happen. People can go to an agency like RMA and Troy, and they can get help with the whole process rather than going on Facebook and Google and trying to find a volunteer and trying to figure out this all out on their own. They can go to professional services get through the process A to Z, and then have their child or children and come home as a family. Is there any question in your mind about whether 
whether surrogates' rights to, I guess, you know, have a change of heart in the situation could be adequately protected while still doing right by the kinds of things that you've been talking about, just the right to access. And after after parents have put so much into the process of finding a surrogate and trying to get their family started. Oh, one of the things without our contract, they don't require, but we did go through, um, which we felt was appropriate, was a psychological screening. Um, so that was for both my husband and I, and then the surrogate as well, where we make sure the person is going, the surrogate going through this is in the is in the right mindset to understand the full scope of what they're doing, because that's part of the contract is at that point, if you're going to do this, that means the child is going home with the intended parents. Currently in Michigan, the, that is not a requirement. I think it is not a bad one personally to have that. It is a good point to sit down and go over that. So I believe having that mental health piece in place is vital. Having that in place allows people to really think this out before they do it, because it is a big thing. You are asking someone to spend basically a year of their life helping you have a child. Adam Taylor, thank you so much for talking to us about your situation. And we just want to wish your family a really great new year. Thank you. That's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa, our pod editor. Other producers on the show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Lauren Neong and Olivia Moradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>